You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Dude, I might have a hard time with um, service. My Wi-Fi has been shit uh, for like a week. Yeah, and so I I purchased the city's public internet Xfinity Wi-Fi for two hours so we can record this podcast. That's how dedicated I am. There's that's a thing to our listeners. Yeah, I paid eight ninety five to record this podcast, people. So you're welcome. And I also get my freaking service through Xfinity. So I think it's like a it's like a scheme. Like they cut out my internet service, so it sucks, and now I have to buy their extra pass. And the public channel. Man, that's that's not the craziest conspiracy theory I've heard in the last month. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's that's so what have you been doing with your time, man? What are you uh what are you up to these days? Well, homeschooling. Our school sent home hours of work each day for our kids. Hours. And other than that, I am doing a lot of stair climbing. <laughs> and uh last night I spent three hours and 34 minutes putting a puzzle together straight. That is, that I've never sat down and put a puzzle together in my life like that. I don't even know who I am anymore. I would rather rip off each of my fingernails one by one than do a puzzle. I cannot, I could be like, look at the front of the box. There it is, it's beautiful. I don't need to, I don't need to put this together. It was torture, it was like Chinese water torture. I'll never do it again. (laughs) What have you been doing? Because clearly I'm going crazy in this pandemic state. What are you doing with your life? Uh, what did I do, man? You know what? I decided to take a weekend off of running. My body was feeling beat up. And so I took, I went from 50 miles a week, roughly down to 20 last week. And I didn't know what the heck to do with myself this weekend. So my girlfriend, Jess and I, we went out and hiked in some, uh, public state forests and found a wood tick on me already. It's March. What That's is it? Really. <laughs> yeah. I was driving home. I was crawling down my thumb. I freaked out. I was like, that's too early for that crap. So I've been, I haven't been doing uh, anything crazy, man. I'm making a lot of online client plans because I can't train all my people in the gym anymore. Um, and I also, uh, you know, came up with a list of contest winners. Ooh, roll it out. Yeah. All right. So if you listened last week, we were going to offer three, well, one free month of training to three of you listeners uh, if you wrote a review for us and they had to be in before Friday last week, a few of you snuck in on like Saturday and Sunday, man, I wanted to include you, but I couldn't. So, uh, and then we offered one free month of training also to someone who did the most vertical feet of stairs, uh, in their house or near their house, which, uh, I think might be the most impressive feat. So should we list off who wins these free months of training, Bracken? I'm on pins and needles, Kirk. You're, you're on pins and needles. So we plugged you onto a random number generator, Kate. Okay? And here's who we got. And you guys were all mixed up. And so um, these numbers don't correlate with how they show up on the list. So don't go all detective on me. Okay. Yeah, you won't figure us out. We're operating on a different plane here. Yeah. And what this means to you, by the way, so is this. You get a free month of online coaching, okay, from either Bracken or I. So you can pick either one of us. And all we want you to do is to slide into our the running public DMs on Instagram. So when we call you out, just shoot us a message. 
And we both can see these messages now. I figured out how to get Bracken on the Instagram page. So if you choose Bracken over me, you're going to really hurt my feelings. And if you know you choose me over Bracken, Bracken may never come back on this podcast again. I'll be so relieved that I don't have to do extra work. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone choose Kurt. <laughs> so you want a real dedicated coach. All right. So first winner, drum roll. It's going to sound awful on audio. We got TM81. These TM81. Are really, really self-identifying usernames. <laughs> yeah, no idea who, who that is. Uh, you were a random number generator seven. Get in touch with us. Next drum roll. Does that sound good, Bracken? <laughs> it's gonna sound really good. <laughs> I bet it is. H Miles5378. You were a random number generator 58. That's a lot of numbers going on. Yeah. And the last one. Extra long drum roll. Monty6007. Those are our three winners, Bracken. I'm less excited than I thought I would be because I have no idea who they are. Either do I. I thought, you know, some of our reviews, that they, their names give them away. We have no idea. I have no idea who any of these people are. Yeah, I was hoping I'd, I'd hope, hoping I'd see a name that I would at least put a face to. But now we just play the waiting game, waiting for someone to message us. What happens if multiple people are like, oh, I'm TM81? Oh, we're going to, you're cut off. We, no. How are Don't we going to know? We're going to know. We're, we got this, we got a very systemic or systematic process in place here, obviously. Yeah, we're going to scrub for digital fingerprints. Do you want to tell them about the uh, the stairs winner? The stairs winner submitted his video to us doing it in his backyard on his deck. What do you have, like five stairs, eight stairs? It might have been as tall as he was, six feet tall, maybe. He went up and down it for an hour. Got over a thousand feet of vert, I think. <laughs> Yeah, we had a hard time pinning down uh, vert. Like somebody went up and down their stairs in their house. Uh, and I think we had maybe, I don't know, 10 or so people tag us in this, mm -hmm. which is awesome. But anyways, and they're like Strava didn't work. So it said some dude did like 37 feet of vert in an hour going up and down his stairs, which is not right. But uh, we were impressed with a, a guy by the name of OCR Joe. OCR Joe, you got us. So you also get a free month of training. So uh, slide into our DMs, Joe. That also sounds like a fake name, except or just a, the most generic name possible, but at least we'll be able to see his profile says OCR Joe. Yeah, we're going to get like 20 different OCR Joes sliding into our DMs convincing us it's uh, it's them. Probably Joe DeSena's burner account. <laughs> it might be. Now that that's out of the way, we got some contest winners. Uh, what do you want to talk about today? Well, see, we had promised uh, a fella on Instagram that we were going to do a, a podcast about tapering for races. We had covered it briefly in the Q&A. Could kind of just paid it lip service because there's so much to go into about that. We said, we will do that next. And then coronavirus hit. And so we did our training through the coronavirus. Uh, and now we realize no one needs a race taper because no one's allowed to race. So we are going to apologize to you in advance, bump that segment back. And we're going to get back to kind of like nuts and bolts of training today. Uh, a topic we talked about a couple times in the Q&A, um, how to train properly according to our beliefs, and that is 80-20 training or polarized training. And today, Kirk, I think that we should just focus on that since now is the time that people are going to start building. We give them options for, do you focus on skills? Do you focus on volume? No matter what they're going to do, let's, let's give them some framework for how to safely build, not just safely, but intelligently to maximize bang for your buck. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And 80-20 running is something I really sort of started picking up two years ago. Um, and I don't know, how long have you been doing it, Bracken? By the name 80-20 running, probably two years. By the principle of polarized training, five years. Okay. And 
why don't we tell them what 80-20 running is? Because I'm guessing a lot of people aren't going to even know what that means. 80-20 running kind of sprang into the public through Matt Fitzgerald's book. If you don't know Matt Fitzgerald, get to know his writings. He's one of my favorite uh, endurance authors. He has a high level of knowledge and he delivers it at the everyman level. I, I, I really aspire to be like him. He just, he knows his stuff and he can make everyone else understand it really, really simply and in an entertaining way. So anyways, he wrote a book called, it's super complicated title, 80-20 running. And, yes. uh, and it's just all about 80-20 training. But the, the concept is that you do roughly 80% of your running aerobically below your um, aerobic threshold. And then 20% of it is your, what we would call quality work, intense training. And that's kind of it. Super simple, but kind of mind-blowing for people in that very few of the open-class athletes, the weekend warriors and such, are actually doing that percentage of training. Yeah, and I think, you know, this stems from, and I think I fell into this trap for a lot of years and still can. I have the tendency to not follow those principles, so I really have to remind myself. But a lot of times we fall into that gray area, and that gray area meaning all right, I go a little too hard on my easy days and then I'm a little fatigued for my next hard workout. So I can't quite run as fast or as hard as I'd like to in my hard workout. And suddenly you get stuck in like your easy days kind of blend into your hard days and you don't feel that fast, but yet you're never really feeling recovered. And suddenly you're just kind of in this muddy mess of training where you're not improving your fitness because you're just stuck in a gray area and you don't have big polarized differences between your efforts. That, that's exactly it. You're, you're just on, always in debt. You're taking a loan out from your quality days to pay for your easy days. And now there's not quite enough money left to pay for a real quality day. And you're always just kind of in between never breaking even. Yeah, you know, you just said Matt, Matt Fitzgerald, you know, was really good at making things uh, understandable. I think you just did that, Bracken. I think you are. <laughs> I think you are our Matt Fitzgerald. That might be the greatest compliment I've ever received. I'm trying to butter you up here. I like it. So, so the so he he brought to the to the forefront of the public the running public not our running public but the public of runners to the forefront in their mind the concept of of uh, eighty twenty training but it it stems back farther to Stephen Silers he was a an exercise um, researcher who got really enamored with the idea of how do world level endurance athletes train. And so we did a multi-year study looking from cross-country skiers, biathletes, uh, cyclists, runners, um, just anything that was enduring in nature. And he found that the commonality amongst all the different sports is that the, the national level, the Olympic level, the world champions had polarized training. They spent minimum of 75% of their time aerobic and then a maximum of 25% of their time anaerobic. And it, to, to the point where some of the cases were like 91 and 9, or only 9% of their time in some of the Nordic sports, um, even some rowers had some segments of their training where they were like 90-10 rather than 80-20 and just really prioritizing hitting the hard days hard and the easy days easy building up volume. And so he's kind of the, he's one of the, the godfathers of this concept. It's been done for years, but he was one of the first to put it down on paper and say, this is what a lot of people do. Why does it work? And, and the reason we thought this was important to talk about um, this week is, as Bracken had mentioned in our last episode, 
we talked about what's next. And let's just say you are building volume right now. You're putting in a solid training block. And from the looks of like Instagram and social media, it seems like the route most people are going is just pounding the training right now. And so if you're going to do that, you want to practice what we are talking about between 80-20 running. Because if you don't, it's a sure recipe for either injury, for burnout, um, for honestly you to not reach the fitness gains you would like. And so for that camp, especially that camp that's really building right now, um, and for a lot of my athletes that I'm coaching seem to be on the building train. They are just pumped to just go put time in. I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. So 80-20 running is, is probably more pivotal, especially when you're building. And I think that's, that's what brought it to light for us to talk about this week. Yeah, there have been studies done on this across every level, recreational runners, um, advanced runners, highly trained runners. And generally, they throw together at least three groups and one test group does polarized training one does high volume low intensity another does hit training which is low volume frequent at high intensity and then there's one that does like a, a um like a threshold or what cyclists call sweet spot training where you're kind of hitting your threshold zone upper threshold a lot and almost two to a man every study shows that the polarized group improves the most on all measurables and not only that but it's been proven to have pretty good longevity and that because you're you're kind of capping yourself around 20% of your weekly volume so let's just say you're a 10 hour a week trainer you're only getting 2 hours in of quality every week it's much more difficult to get injured that way so there's some longevity with this and there are actual performance results and longevity is kind of the most important thing we're looking at right now with an endless off season ahead of us uh, it's open-ended. When 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 are we coming back? And the worst thing we can do is develop an injury right now. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. And so to just re sort of like uh, summarize just a little bit of what we just talked about, you know, if you're looking at the difference, 80-20 running again, 80% of your work is let's just call it easy and 20% is hard. Now I would, if I'm just going to simplify this, I would say 80% of your your run work, if we're talking running specifically, is conversational effort. We'll get into heart rate in a second too, but it's where you can actually even maybe squeak out a full sentence without having to take a breath. Uh, You can do that for an hour or two on end. And then the 20% stands for like, I hate my freaking life hard. Like to the point where like everything is miserable. Your body is exploding from the inside. You're in zone four or five heart rate. We're talking very, very, very high end. And we're really spending very little time in the middle in like a zone three heart rate. That's exactly it. In its purest form, polarized means that hard is very hard, like VO2 max effort or faster. Um, In practicality, there are several different practices that people use. Um, The first is that it's threshold or faster on the hard days. Another is 10K running effort or faster. Um, and then some actually divide it up a little bit where of that 20%, like 80% of that is is 5K or faster. And then like 10% is still hits threshold work. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. And it also leads into an easy way of periodizing your season where you can adhere to 80, 20 throughout a year and hit a threshold block to work on that, hit some 10K pace and then sharpen up for something really fast or start with some speed work and then get closer to a threshold um, effort through before like beast races or something. But the, the, the main point is that it's hard or it's easy and you don't do middle ground, like nudge in the line of anaerobic aerobic on a daily run. Yep. Yeah. And so for me, I would say the best way to monitor that is heart rate, 
monitor. I've gone more and more to that over the years. I know you use it as well. And I thought we should dive in really quick. So that's one universal way. We don't know our listeners' paces and what their, you know, how fast they can run a 10K and all of that. But what we do is we can kind of maybe help them understand how to gauge like a either a max heart rate or like your lactate threshold heart rate. And that way they can maybe understand how to better uh, dictate their easy efforts versus their hard efforts. So, so how do you like to one, how do you like an athlete to uh, estimate their, their max heart rate? Do you have any tests you like to run to find that? I have one I like to run. Um, I've used a couple. Uh, Honestly, I get mixed results with all of this with first trying to find max heart rate. So I actually have kind of given up on trying to do max heart rate tests with athletes because it's really hard to get someone there myself included. And I do lactate threshold heart rate tests instead, because I feel like that's easier to nail and it's easier to approximate. Okay. All right. Well, um, do you want to dive into that right away or should we, should we toss them what my, you know, what I think is a good way to to go with yours and then I can talk mine. We have something out there that we'll talk about occasionally. It's called the 1515 test. And the 1515 test is basically where you run 15% incline, for 15 minutes and you cover as much distance as possible. This should be basically like a race effort. Okay. Um, and it's probably one of the more miserable tests uh, you can do. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. It's like a, it's like an all out 5k race. It's like an all out five. It's, it's miserable. And for my heart rate data, the highest numbers I have ever seen is in the last minute of that test. So if I truly run the 15, 15 test properly, and I kick home that last minute of the 15 to the point where like I'm almost falling off the back of the treadmill and I'm afraid I may not make it. Uh, you know, you can hear yourself breathe on a whole city block. You're scaring the neighbors because they're wondering what's going on in your house. The end of that 15-15 test is as close as I've gotten to a max heart rate other than a race. So for me, I think that 15-15 test is a good place to start because it's long enough to go aerobic and really get that heart rate up and let you sink into hard work. And then if you kick home that last minute, if you even have a kick in you, um, that should get you close. Okay. That's a good one. The closest I ever got in a workout was actually my freshman year in college. We did a heart rate test and we lined up and ran all out 800, 60 seconds recover, all out 400. And it was nasty. That 400 was one of the most uncomfortable runs I've ever done in my life. And I hit over 190 that day. I think I hit 191 um, in practice, which is for me very difficult yeah. to do. Um, but so that's that's what I would say if you are really going after one. I find that the ramp up tests in practice are harder for me to, to mm. do, but that uh, the two back-to-back really hard efforts will spike me. But I, I do the opposite on the spectrum. Um, one of the, the go-to lactate threshold tests is to do a 30-minute time trial, essentially, and try to run your maximal pace the whole time. But your average heart rate for the last 20 minutes is theoretically your, your lactate threshold. Okay. So you're basically saying 30 minutes, it's a race against yourself. As hard as you can go for 30 minutes, only take the heart rate data from the last 20 minutes of that 30-minute time trial, we'll call it. And the average heart rate for that last 20 minutes is your lactate threshold. Yep. Okay. So- and again, this isn't an exact science. This is like our, you know, everyday working man's way to figure this out without getting real testing done in a lab. Yeah, you can go to a lab and pay a couple hundred bucks, but this is for the, you're in quarantine. You're not going to a lab. <laughs> you're not going to no lab. So if you were to base, so for example, okay, you said you saw your, your max heart rate was 191. 
in fact, the highest I've seen in recent months is 191 myself. Really? Okay. Yeah. And it was in 15% work on my treadmill. That's impressive. Yeah. It hurt a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just say, let's say our average listener's max heart rate is between 180 and 190. Again, this is such a broad stroke. Everybody's different. But from what I see, most people land in that category uh, anywhere between 20 and 40 years of age, anyways. So, what would you give like for heart rate? Like for your example, you, what is your lactate threshold heart rate? Uh, mine is 161 to 166, depending on the day and the type of terrain seems to be my range. Okay. There and above basically would yep. be considered our 20%, wouldn't you say? If you're going by a more global term, yeah, for sure. Um, the purists would say that it would be, for me, it would start at 167 and above. And that lactate threshold does not count. It has to be above it. Okay, fair. Um, but I've heard 88% and above is a good safe play of your max heart rate is a good, not heard, I've read in many studies that uh, below 80% is what the people will consider aerobic. I would bump it lower than that myself, but that 88% of max heart rate or above is a good safe bet for this is considered quality training from a polarized view. But yeah, I, my, my, myself, I like to use lactate threshold and above. Okay. That's how I kind of determine uh, my, my general efforts as well. So uh, again, it's, it's, it's a general sense, but that's the rate of work we're talking. Like I you look at your heart rate data from, from workouts and see how often you're above, you know, I, I guess you should do your 30 minute test is what you really should do um, and find that. Now let's talk about the opposite end of the spectrum, the 80%. Okay. How do you determine that based off your heart rate? Uh, well, I, the, what I actually do is when I do my lactate threshold test or when I do, let's say, a 10-mile race and get a new lactate threshold result off of that, I plug that into a heart rate calculator online. You just Google max heart rate calculator, lactate threshold calculator. You enter in your lactate threshold number and it gives you what your max heart rate is. It gives you what your um, aerobic threshold should be and that kind. And so I... Uh, my aerobic threshold is like 148 um, to 155-ish. Sometimes one fi- I, I saw it as high as 158 when I was training for the ultra, but then I just stay I stay significantly below that because I don't I stay zone two and below on my easy days. Some people do a bit of zone three. I don't even mess with it. I, I go very polarized on my easy days. Yep, and that's the exact point. So, what is that heart rate? For you, so let's say if your lactate threshold is, let's just say 165 to 67 <laughs> beats per minute, what is your easy uh, heart rate average you're looking I for? I find that 30 beats below that is, is what I need to stay at. Okay. So so for me, if I'm 61 to 66 is what I consider it, then I'm 31 to 36. And I'll cap myself at 130 on recovery days and I'll cap myself, I'll let it extend up to all the way to 139 on uh, on easy days. I generally stay about 135 and I'll let it spike up a few beats on hills just because I'm not a fan of walking up the hills to keep it below that. So what's the difference between a recovery day and an easy day in your mind? All right. For me, I, I consider this when I, I, asked, I actually just had an athlete talk to, um, I did a phone call with a new athlete I started with yesterday and we were just talking about this. Um, a recovery day is a day when I've done such significant work the day before that I am depleted that day and I have to get back to better the next day. So the question I ask myself is how do I want to wake up tomorrow? Mm -hmm. So on a quality day, I want to wake up worse than I'm waking up today. (laughs) I want to do some damage and make my system recovery on an easy day. I want to wake up the same way I'm feeling tomorrow as today. 
Yep. So I'm feeling an eight out of 10 today. I got to be at least an eight tomorrow. An easy day shouldn't take me down to a six or a seven, but it also shouldn't bump me up to like a 10. A recovery day, I should wake up feeling better tomorrow than I feel today. Yeah, that's fair. I imply, I was going to sort of outline the same thing. Usually for me, like a Monday would be an easy day. Um, I go on a seven, you know, seven day a week schedule. Sunday's an off day. So I'm not recovering from my Sunday because I took that off. So Monday would be an easy day. Tuesday would be my first quality high 20, you know, 20% of the formula effort for that week. Wednesday would be what I would call a true recovery day, which you just outlined would be following a hard effort. Yeah, I like that. We're on the same page. Yes, we are. Now, I do want to say that the first question that came to my mind when I was researching 80-20 training outside of does it have to be 80-20 or can you be 78-22 or can you be 90-10 or 88 12, you know, whatever it's going to be. Um, the answer is yes, you can vary that. And we'll talk about that later. But the second was, is this, is the 20%, 20% of your training sessions or 20% of your training time? And the answer is time. So when Kirk says, yeah, I do two quality days per week, I'm on a seven day cycle. Well, two out of seven is much more than 20%. Right. But the point is, it's the time he spends quality. So warm up, cool down, that's not quality on those two days. So that's cutting into that percent as well. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we? And I want to rehash the importance of like why you should do this again. I think we should recap with that when we're all done with this. But should we should outline a week for people and help them understand? I think most people are on a seven like the Monday through Sunday schedule. I know you run a ten day or nine day schedule sometimes mm-hmm. in your training. Why don't we run through a week real quick and help people understand how this exactly should look? Okay. Um, let's. Is it safe to assume we'll take Sundays? as rest yeah, and Monday we jump into rest. our week. So outline, outline Monday for you in your week. What are you doing on Monday? How are you applying 80-20 training to your Monday? So I'm, I'm going to say this is off a basic um, training plan. Let's say it's a six-hour-a-week plan. Six days, averaging 60 minutes a day. Monday is going to be a 60-minute aerobic run. Conversation pace, never breathing quickly, just casual moving. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, and if you looked at your heart rate data at the end of that, what would you average on there? That I average about 135. Perfect. Okay. So same for me. Six to 10 mile run. Let's say uh, I would love to see sub 140 average heart rate. I could talk to somebody the whole time. Those are the, if I'm under 140, I know I'm recovering. Okay. Or going easy. I just keep that simple for myself. You probably have your own numbers. So now Tuesday rolls around. You know, you have a high quality session planned. What are we doing? So then this is where I'm hitting an interval day. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking threshold intervals, 10K intervals, 5K intervals. If we want to talk pure polarized, we're doing VO2 max work. And we're, let's say I'm doing 12 to 15 by one minute on, one minute off. Okay. Cranking it on the minute, recovering on the minute off. Okay. So you're only spending 15 minutes working hard. Yep. If you want to call it that, right? Yeah, then then I might take a 15-minute warm-up and I might do an extended 20-minute cool-down, get some extra volume in. I like those extended cool-downs after a hard effort. Do you like those? I do. Um, I, they're damaging to me naturally. Yeah, that's why I, I like them. I struggle with that. And so sometimes I do it. Sometimes I'll jog for like two or three minutes and then bike for like 20 because mm-hmm. like right now where I'm at, I can't handle much coming off surgery. So I'll do my extended cool down on a bike rather than run. But yeah, it's the same thing. I like the extended cool down. It's, I feel like it's, you're in your extra, it's like this magic hour where you're already depleted. Now everything you do sticks. Totally. You bank all that. And I know we've been mentioning heart rate a lot. 
Now, for like this example of Bracken's workout on Tuesday, he's not paying attention to his heart rate monitor at all for these minutes. This is just all gauged off of like your RP, your rating of perceived exertion. You are going hard. You can look at the heart rate data afterwards, but you know that effort is going to warrant some elevated heart rate. Um, so we're not like checking our watch like 30 seconds in to be like, oh, my threshold effort or not. No, you have to, you're only reading that data afterwards, in my opinion. I assume that's how you're doing it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't pay attention to heart work once heart heart work heart rate work. Um, once I get above lactate threshold, yeah, I pay attention on easy recovery threshold. And once I'm above that, that is a feeling. And in 60 second intervals, you may not get your heart rate up to 180. It might only hit 160 in that 60 seconds. But your your RPE is going to be a nine. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So now you're smoked. You're totally smoked. You wake up Wednesday morning and you're. Uh, and you're feeling creaky, but you want to get a run in, or maybe you cross train and go for a spin, or you do something. How are you approaching that? Uh, 40 minutes easy, 45 minutes easy. Maybe that's a run if I'm feeling good. If the day beat me up and my calves and quads are toast, maybe I'm hopping on the on the, on the the bike and biking for a bit, but I'm staying very aerobic. This is the day where I'm under 135 for my recovery day, and just getting time in and focusing on keeping my mechanics good when I'm tired. And now you're getting all, you're not getting all beat up with yourself, Brack. And like you look down at your watch and you ran an 11 minute mile to accomplish this. You're not like, oh, I'm a piece of crap. My fitness sucks. Like I'm running so slow. At pace. I have several different screens for my GPS watch. And on recovery and easy days, I click to just heart rate and time on that screen. That's all I look at. I don't set my GPS to beep distance. I don't care what my distance is. I don't care what my splits are. I'm just recovering super smart just have the uh just have the heart rate pulled up don't look at anything else because if you look at like bracken strava versus my strava you've kind of been a ghost on strava lately bracken <laughs> when's the last time I ran? well you could be putting your you know your stairs workout on there or something show the people that you're not i have lazy. a bunch in my watch right now yeah you do but if you look at bracken's you know weeks all his runs are like 6.18 miles or 4.23 and mine are like 8.00 drives my wife crazy that I'll run like 12.99 and not hit 13. It's because I didn't know it was 12.99. I knew it was 80 minutes. So you should probably follow the Bracken camp on that a little more and just look at your heart rate monitor when you're running. If you're trying to apply this philosophy, it's a very smart way to do it. Um, When I'm really, really beat up, I do it that way to make sure I don't uh, overdo it. Yeah. Uh, I got to twist my arm though. So rest of the week then, Thursday and Friday, what are you doing? You have options there. Um, I'm a big fan of that midweek long run. I really am um, because I don't do as many true long runs throughout my my block as I should. I get a lot of 70 to 90 minute runs in and I like to do those Thursday or Friday. If I'm recovering well off th- Wednesday's workout, then I'll get 70, 80, 90 minutes aerobic on Thursday. And if not, then I just do 60 Thursday and then move into 90 on Friday, the day before my quality day. Okay, great. And so we're keeping those lower heart rates. That's on the 80% realm. Uh, Bracken and I, you've heard us talk about it. We're a fan of the quality long run. That's like implementing speed or purposeful work in your long run. On I do it on a Saturday. Bracken, you do them all over the map. But let's mm-hmm. say Saturday. So Saturday comes. Okay, you've really only put in one bout of twenty your 20% work on that Tuesday. So how are you rolling into Saturday then? So Saturday, I am doing either, um, because we are OCR athletes, I'm doing OCR specific work or I'm doing a quality long run, as we'd say. 
So I'm either hitting closer to threshold pace intervals throughout a long run or a hard finish long run, or maybe a big uh, hill or mountain workout, or I'm doing an OCR simulation uh, interval or tempo run. But either way, it's longer in duration than it was on Tuesday, but it's not quite as sharp as in, in intensity. Okay, but you're spending a lot of time now in that zone four, probably, maybe a little higher. Yeah, I might hit a total of 30 or 40 minutes of threshold work throughout a long run or an interval session or 20 to 30 minutes worth of faster than threshold work during an OCR session, but at least 20 to 30 minutes of quality on that day. Let's say 30 average on that day. So if you look at Bracken's week he outlined, he may be putting in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, let's say capped of like quality running. Otherwise the rest of your week, the other seven hours is six hours is easy running. And it is. That's it. I know it sounds crazy, but that is the formula. And I think you should tell people, and I want to talk about this for a second too, like how you feel the difference. Like when you adapted this sort of philosophy or when you like, when you're really honed in on 80, 20 running, like how do you know that you're doing it right? How do you feel that you're doing it right? The, the easiest way I can describe this is that I look forward to every quality run. Every Tuesday, every Saturday, I'm chomping at the bit to get there. Uh, Monday, I'm, I, I always think I might be able to get my quality day today. Tuesday, I think I, am, I know I'm ready to do this. On Thursday, I'm not ready for Saturday's workout. A Friday, I'm starting to itch for it. And on Saturday, I'm ready. So I'm never rolling into my quality days beat up, but I'm never sitting like on a recovery day just twiddling my thumbs like I could go hard again today. Because if you get to that point, now it's time to increase intensity or volume on those quality days. Or add a third day. If your volume's 20 hours of training per week, yeah, you need a third quality day in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the biggest indicator for me is, yeah, I'm, I'm itching to go work hard. Um, and, and if you're doing that and you're looking forward to your, your next quality session, like we're all sadistic a little bit in our own rights and we like to really beat ourselves into the ground. That's why we chose to be an endurance athlete. Um, if you're really dreading that quality effort the next day, or you just don't feel ready. You're probably going too hard on your recovery days. I think just that, that gauge right there is, is enough. Um, in my opinion. And I've no, when I start picking up the pace on my recovery days and going a little too much, and then I hit my quality day and I'm in my warm up and I'm doing my strides to get ready for my intervals. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to be doing this. It's usually, if you look back, you're falling into that gray area too much, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. The night before, if I'm looking at my schedule, like, man, what am I doing tomorrow? I'm ready. If I'm looking at like, oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? Then I'm not recovered. Yeah. And I would say, on your recovery efforts, you know, again, this 80% of your running, um, you might even feel slow and you might feel like you're clunking around a little and you might even be like, God, my legs feel like garbage today. They still may be fatigued. You're not going to go and don't think like, because you're following this principle that that run's going to be super easy mentally. Like sometimes those recovery runs are hard mentally. You're like, God, when will this be over? And I just want to run quicker because I feel smoother when I run quicker and yada, yada. A lot of my recovery days, I kind of feel like junk even. Mm -hmm. Like, and so it's important to keep an eye on that heart rate and to just remember, like, it's not like every day is going to feel good now. Like your recovery days can still feel like trash. You can be like, God, my legs are trashed, but you're still not allowing your, you know, your heart rate to get higher than it should. So yeah. something yeah. I thought when I first jumped into this was like my recovery runs would feel good somehow all of a sudden because I was going easier and I was wrong. It's the difference between, we said this before, but exercising and training. 
when you're exercising, your goal is to have a blast and feel good every day, you know, yeah. and feeling good running means running kind of quick, but not so hard that you're hurting. You just feel fast and you feel good and you do it four out of five days a week or five out of seven days a week and you just feel good. Um, but you kind of stagnate your progression when you're training, you're training towards a result. And that means you take your pleasure in nailing workouts and competing well. And so, yeah, some of the recovery days won't feel good. And the easy runs are going to feel like you have a rev limiter on and you do, but you unleash it when it counts. And so we have to take our pleasure, not necessarily in the daily movement that excites us, but in the daily process that's getting us closer to our goal. Yeah, that's a very, it's a very good point. I got to look at the big picture there. Here's one thing I found in that. A lot of people, myself included, when I first struggled um, with starting this, that the struggle was with recovery days, our form changing too much because we're trying to go slow. And the point here is not to go slow. The point is to go easy and, and that you can still run into that issue a little bit. But that's why I like to use heart rate because you can still run semi quick if your heart's staying low. And one thing that I really focused on was keeping my cadence at least in an acceptable range. I don't have a super high cadence. I average 160 to 170 on my easy runs usually. Um, I, I'd say 165 to 172 on my easy runs. On my recovery days, I don't want to drop to the 140s, 150s. I can drop a few beats per minute, but I don't want to drop too much. And so keeping your cadence up and just working on really light, efficient, smooth running while going easy is really good drill work while you're recovering. Don't let yourself just slap all over the place and just plot along. Still be running with intent and purpose. Yep. Just add a heart rate limit. Yep. Yeah. Quick, quick turnover, quick cadence. You may feel like you got a little bit of a shuffle going or a shorter stride um, based if you're, if you're doing that correctly, instead of just galloping along at a slow pace, that's going to be much less productive. I had this like case in point yesterday, the whole experience wrapped up in one. I did a stair workout outside. It was my first real workout since surgery and 16 minutes in my knees like, nope, that's too much descending. You can't do that anymore. So I started doing just like 30 second light jogs back and forth at the bottom along the lake. And my cadence was like 162 and I was feeling awkward. And my sister finished up the last few minutes of her workout down there and I ran next to her. And we were running like 840 pace. And I was at 172, 178 in my cadence back and forth between there because I was running next to someone and my stride just started mimicking hers. And I was running yeah. the same pace, slow recovery pace at an easy heart rate. But suddenly my cadence was up again because it was I wasn't thinking about running slow. I was thinking about just running next to someone. So it's doable. And I experienced both ends of the spectrum in the same day. But it was a great reminder that focus on good form and cadence and you can still hit a slow pace. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and, you know, on those recovery days too, if you feel like you got to work the kinks out or you feel like you're kind of, you know, shuffling along because you might be surprised how slow you need to run to hit this appropriately. It's okay to finish these workouts with a few strides and by strides. We mean like quicker sprints so you can hit your recovery effort at a nice slow effort and then maybe hit, you know, four to eight, 15 second uh, pickups or sprints on your block or by your, on your street when the run's done, just to get that stride opened up and just to feel like, oh, I am still efficient, you know, running fast, just to leave a mark that way and and maybe prime you for the next day a little too. So I like to finish with little with strides after an, a recovery day when I'm really feeling beat up, even though sometimes it's the last thing I want to do. Uh, sometimes it can just freshen up the legs a little bit. When I've been at my best historically is when I'm doing strides at the end of my easy runs the day before workouts and adding in some 150s or 200s at the end of my quality days. 
when I'm yeah. adding little doses of real speed throughout the week, that's when my body's at its best. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing that a good bit and I, I like how that feels. And I would say if, if, when I do this appropriately and I, and I'm currently actually following the 80, 20 pretty well, um, I will feel like absolute garbage on almost all my recovery days. I'll be like, man, I don't know, like these legs, you know, they're really fried. But then when I go to do my quality effort the next day, it's like always there. It's like there and ready. I'm like, oh, there it is. I'm back. My fitness is great. I felt good. I worked into the workout. And then I hit that workout so hard and so good because it was one of those days that I'm super trashed again the next couple of days. And then I take them as true recovery and be like, man, I'm beat up. And then as soon as I'm recovered, I hit another workout. And again, it, maybe the body just pops. Again, you're like, oh, there it is. As soon as I had to work hard, it was there today again. Like that's the cycle you can kind of get into when you do this appropriately. Doesn't mean you're going to feel good every day, especially on those recovery days as we talked about, but like it just tends to flow. And you will look back at your training, you know, week in and week out. And you'll be like, wow, look at how many of my quality workouts I wrote. Like I keep a running log. I wrote down like felt good, you know, body responded, great pacing. If you start looking back and you start feeling that way, like, man, I was on for every quality workout. Uh, you're probably doing it right. That's how I feel. I I agree. Our bodies are super compensators. That's what our bodies do. We get sick, they ramp up the process to fight that, and then they build up antibodies to move on. We do the same thing with working out. We yep. stress ourselves. Our bodies compensate. We recover, and then we rise to a new level of fitness. And if we are always burning it a little too bright on our easy days and our recovery days, we are not receiving the regeneration process and then the adaptations that come with it. And so to get the full amount out of your workout, to wring every drop of water out of that workout, you have to recover. But as soon as you do recover, now you've upgraded. You've qualified for the next level of workout again. And that is how progression happens. It doesn't happen from banging your head against the wall to prove you're tough. You prove you're tough by sticking to a guideline and a plan and seeing it through to the end. Yeah. You know what I think? I think when I, when I look back to like my college days, and maybe you guys were better about this than I than we were, but like there no, was we always a guy or two who's right, who's like every day was like if you weren't running like six thirty pace on your recovery, like in between interval sessions, it always turned into a little bit of a race. We were always running too fast, and guys were half the guys were injured all the time, and half the guys were burnt, and they have a shit second half of their season. They come out firing and be real good the first half, and then just lose it all the second half. You saw that stuff all the damn time, and I wish I could go back and talk to my old coach and teammates and myself and be like, dude, you were doing it wrong. Like This is how it should have been done. You guys fell into that trap too? A hundred percent. And you know what? Like We always joked in the WEAC system that every program threw a dozen eggs at the wall and the five that didn't break were going to nationals. Yeah. And, yeah. and you'd look at those five and be like, these guys did it. They pounded, they pounded, they pounded, and it fortified them. And that's what I need to do. And you get done and be like, man, that guy just did 12 at six flat pace on a recovery day. He's an animal. Well, yeah, if you pick the success stories, you can look for truth in their success story. But how many people fell by the wayside? My fifth year of, of uh, school, I started student teaching and I stopped training with the team. I did every workout my fifth year alone. And that was the first year I started polarized training. And Is that because nobody liked you? <laughs> yeah. I, I took 21 credits my uh, my senior year, including student teaching, because um, wow. I was a poor student for my first year and a half of college. Yeah. And after that, I dug such a hole that I had to take massive amounts of credits 
and get straight A's in order to get into the school of education and do the things I wanted to do. And so I was taking like three night classes a week that they were three hours long and all my class, I was, I took no less than 20 hours of credits my last uh, like four or five semesters. Wow. And so I just couldn't go to practice. <laughs> so I just trained alone. And that's when I first started implementing this where no one was around me. There was no ego. I'd just go out at eight at night and run my recovery run. I'd get done with class at 9.15 and do a recovery run. That's when I started realizing like I'm training alone. I know I'm not running near as fast as everyone and I'm starting to PR every single week. And you know, you look back at Mr. Uh, six minute pace on his 12 mile run as a recovery. Um, you know, you one could say, man, what an animal like God, he, you know, that guy's so good. I want to be like him. And the other other side of the coin could be like, did we ever see his potential? Yep. Was he just that good that he he ran fatigued all the time? Or was he really missing like his ceiling? He never found it. It's the question that always goes unanswered with other people. You think, are they doing it because of that or despite that? And we mm -hmm. hear it with diet, with recovery practices, with different training styles and with hammering your easy days. And so the only way we do know is if someone ever switches. I've made the switch. I saw it personally happen. I've seen it happen with so many athletes we've worked with that I'm a believer. Now it's up to the, someone to, to take the leap of faith and say, I'm going to run slower to get faster. Yep. I know we, you know, we've talked in circles a little bit today and we've, you know, we've given you maybe a somewhat clear, but maybe at times blurry vision of how this should look. But I think you just, you just summed it up really well in the last few things you said, like you need to run slow on your easy days to run faster on your hard days and in races. And if you get anything out of this, when I read Matt Fitzgerald 80, 20 book, like I got the gist of it in the first 20 pages and then the rest just kept drilling it into my head as to why it was so important. And if you get anything out of listening to us babble for an hour, it is to slow down on your recovery days and don't be a workout hero until your until your quality days. Um, I, I don't know how else to say it when, when it comes down to it. And you can get into your heart rate data. You can try to find your maxes or your th lactate threshold numbers and go off of those, which is great. We just gave you examples, but you just said it best. Slow it down and you'll run faster. Yeah, you earn your quality days on your easy days. And that's all there is to it. And now is a great time to play around with it because my percentage changes throughout the year. I might sit at 90-10 throughout my off season. And because our sport is inherently very anaerobic and we tax a lot of systems, I get closer to 70-30 throughout the season when it counts. But that's kind of the principle of the closer you get to your race, the closer your training gets to the race requirements. The off season, I can get away with doing six weeks of threshold work, you know, an hour total of quality a week or doing five straight weeks of, of just getting on the, on the road and running quick intervals. But as we get closer to the regular season or the championship season, yeah, Kirk and I are doing 70, 70, 90 minute mountain workouts because you have to three hour heavy carry and climb and descend sessions, sessions where we might do 11 miles worth of downhill work because it has to be done. But yeah. those are in the sharpening stage. Throughout the time, I sit right around that probably 85-15 for the vast majority of my year. But now is the time you play with it. Find out what does and doesn't work for you. Yeah. And if I were just to like generalize like how training might, I would idealize, idealize training right now. I would say if you're on a Monday through Sunday schedule, you're hitting a really hard, short, intense bouts of work on your Tuesday. And then on your Saturday are your longer grinds. Like right now, if you have mountains and access to them, like go and go push and tempo up a mountain and try tempoing down a descent on that longer effort, like a nice shorter interval bouts on a Tuesday, 
uh, mostly recovery in between Tuesday and Saturday, and then Saturday let her rip again on the trails and the mountains for some structured, longer, high heart rate effort stuff. Um, especially right now, if you don't even know what you're racing next, uh, that'd be a really good balance training one day in the mountains, one day, shorter, faster speed on the flats. Um, again, just generalizing, but I would probably look at setting up my, my weeks that way until I knew what the heck I was doing coming up. It could be three, four months before I race again, unfortunately. It certainly can be. And that's sad. And that's a crazy idea, but, uh, you can be the person that it ruins your year or you can be the person that comes out of it bulletproof. You know, uh, a client of mine, I won't say her name, but she sent me her Sunday check-in. I require my athletes to check in with me on Sundays. She's an in-person client of mine. And she said that we had said something that had stuck in the last episode. And I think you said it. I don't think I said it. And said, you can go one of two directions. You can fall off the face of the earth right now and look back and kick yourself and be one of those fat slobs. Or you can stay on the horn, take advantage of this situation and come out the other side even more bulletproof. And she's thought about that every single day. Your oh, like middle that. sentence. Yep. She said it pumped her up and she sent me her log and she knocked last week out of the park more than I had ever seen. All because of your little words, Bracken. That's awesome. You know, very rarely yeah. do we realize that this is that moment while you're in that moment. And so the more often you can remind someone like, hey, this might be that moment. It keeps you from letting that moment slip out of grasp. Yeah, you never realize those moments until nope. yeah, in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add to this today? Anything we missed? I don't, I, I mean, we missed us so much because there's so much to dive into this, but I think that's the point. Like we want to whet your appetite for this and now it's on you to go research it. I don't want anyone to listen to us and be like, that's it. I'm never running anything other than 80, 20 in my life. I know plenty of athletes who succeed without this. What I do want you to do is consider its merits and then go read about it. Google it, read into this, find out how does it look for successful people? How could that apply to you? And then start applying it piece by piece. I don't want you to throw out your training plan in one just overnight and just totally switch what you're doing unless what you're doing is terrible. But look into it and start gleaning pieces of truth from what we're saying and then apply it to yourself. And this should be a springboard for you. This isn't the end all episode. This is the springboard episode to get you to do your own reading on it. You should know yeah. exactly why it's working for you. And you can only do that by researching more and then testing it out. Yeah, some of you have a little more time on your hands right now. So just order 8020 running and read it. You'll you'll start nodding your head and you'll you know see a lot of things echoed in that book that we chatted about today. Um, don't forget, guys, uh, our contest winners, you better reach out. I'm sure you already have by the time we got to this point in the episode. But Mr. OCR Joe for crushing the stairs. And then uh, thanks to all who wrote reviews. Damn it, we freaking appreciate it. If you didn't win... We're very sorry. wasn't personal. You can blame it on random number generator. But uh, we have Monty six double zero seven H miles fifty three seventy eight and TM eighty one. You guys have a free month of coaching with us. Congratulations! Right. Just to reiterate, message us on Instagram. Say hey. Uh, this is my username. I'd like to claim my free month of coaching with. We don't really care which one you choose. We just want you to have an awesome experience. Yep, and then we'll set you up with some questions we have for you to get dialed in on your training and make it completely customized to you. See you guys.